When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thursday and the theme of the day turns out it's National Bird Day. How's this National Bird Day related? Come on, this fly so, like an eagle, fly like, like an eagle. eagle. Yeah. There you go. Okay, all right, boom. All yeah. right, right in my face there. Uh, there you go, my man Patrick, the ideal you know, coming over. He came over this one like 30 minutes before the show, so he yeah, was I like, did something. He was on, <laughs> yeah. he was something. That's how you know he's clutch too. He was uh, he was right there. We might not have had a theme for a new theme yeah. Thursday, and I never asked Patrick about the theme or whether he's got a theme. I, normally, I just always have trust that he's gonna have a new theme or have a great movie for midweek movie music. Normally by Monday, I've got the week planned out, yeah. just so I'm not stressed about it all week. This one was like doing everything else in like 30 minutes before you're like oh man we need a theme yeah no he, when you came up it's clutch it's a great theme it's i good. didn't even know it was national bird day um but there you go now we know you're learning something new on new and, theme and I, anytime i get to play something off the space jam soundtrack i'm always happy Ooh. oh that's what that's what this one is from yeah did i was we, thinking of the original we, we did song did yeah did so the original the steve miller movie this music? is seal doing it but oh yeah okay mm, yeah seal man what's who's still married to how do you he Heidi was Heidi he was married to Heidi yeah, was, back in yeah. the day yeah, yeah that was they gave him a lot of street cred after that. They did ever. We just like, we didn't know Seal. Well, we know he had some game, but you know he had yeah, game like that. Yeah, once you start singing to him, you got him. Well, considering yeah, uh, the aesthetics. Yeah, because <laughs> I don't know what was happening on that, but yeah, uh, my but, man was doing what he nah, was doing. Man, Seal was the bad, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. Uh, okay, let, we'll get some NFL uh, news, notes, and nuggets. Um, but I want, cause I want to get to the sound we have. We got some Adam Schefter sound that I want to get to. Uh, also, there's sound from Zach Taylor, the head coach of the Bengals, giving some props to Sean McDermott, who I'm watching right now yep. on ESPN. Uh, Want to get to that sound as well. So we got some, uh, and there's sound from the doctors actually, who were speaking yep. on ESPN about the status of Demar Hamlin. Um, so it, it, it's all honestly good news, great news actually. Um, he's not out of the woods yet. There's still some concern, but the, the latest, and we'll play the uh, the Ian Rappaport sound here for you in a second, um, but uh, the physicians at uh, the University of Cincinnati Medical Center, um, they said he's shown remarkable improvement. Um, they also use the term uh, he's, that he's neurologically intact, um, basically meaning there's, there was not significant brain damage done, mm-hmm. I guess, when they had to resuscitate him multiple times. Um, uh, Patrick, can we have the Ian Rappaport sound ready to play here in a second? Uh, but it, uh, they, all the reports have been, and we're watching right now, Josh Allen on TV, and um, we were just watching Sean McDermott. 
in all the reports have been that there's been significant improvements still in critical condition, uh, but they have noticed improvement and he's communicating. Um, not, I don't know if they're specific about him communicating, writing stuff down or how that's happening, but uh, there is communication to that. He's understanding what is being said to him and what's being talked about. So here's Ian Rappaport giving some of the details about Damara Hamlin's uh, latest status. Really some remarkable updates and I would say overwhelming positivity talking to people, talk to people close to Damara Hamlin. And there's several things that stand out to me. Uh, first of all, as you mentioned, he opened his eyes last night, uh, which had to be just really an incredible moment uh, considering that all that he has been through, that all that the family has been through, all the people close to him have been through. Just he, uh, hearing and seeing him open his eyes, amazing. Uh, he has been responsive, which is also extremely positive, neurologically intact is how the Bills refer to him. And he also has been gripping the hands of those close to him in the hospital, a sign for them that he acknowledges them, recognizes that they are there uh, and are meaningful to him. Put that all together, and it's, it's really hard to imagine, Andrew, coming out with, with better news than, than this. Uh, the other thing that stands out to me is they are endlessly appreciative of all of the incredible medical help that they got on the field, uh, the, uh, how, basically just how fast it was, the immediacy of CPR for nine minutes, uh, the care at the hospital, it has all essentially saved DeMar Hamlin's life, and for him to be where he is now is just truly amazing. Uh, there you go. I mean, that is, it, it is really astounding, um, the uh, progress that has been made. Of course, at one point, uh, it was thought to be really bleak. As a matter of fact, the doctors uh, that were working on DeMar Hamlin, I believe it's Dr. Timothy A. Ooh, I can't get his name. Timothy A. Pritz. Is one of his names. They they don't get they don't list the name of the other doctor. There's two doctors up here uh, on this clip, and they it, it's kind of a, a joke. Which you know, obviously, this is not a situation to joke about. But at least uh, this is a lot more lighthearted story. Um, apparently, Demar Hamlin was alert to no, alert enough to ask who won the game. That is outstanding. For his mind to be able to recognize that, especially after the traumatic event. Exactly. And you start thinking very much so. short-term memory sometimes after that stuff is white. Yes. And apparently short-term memory was not white. Yeah. Uh, Here here is the clip um, of the doctors, got it from NFL on CBS, shout out to my man CB, of them actually uh, telling the story of him asking about the game. You know, when he was communicating with us uh, last night and then again today, that's been in writing. And, uh, you know, to paraphrase uh, one of our partners, you know, when, when he asked, did we win? The answer is yes. You know, Damari, you won. You won the game of life. Uh, and that's probably the most important thing out of this. And we really need to keep him at the center uh, of everything else that's going on. And we really want to ensure a good outcome for him. Uh, yeah, there you go. That's amazing. That is amazing. That is amazing. When you sit and you think about what he, ju- what he just went through, what his life was all about. And now he's sitting there, and the first thing he says is, did we win? Did we win? Yeah. yeah hey, that's, hey, he's a competitor. Yep. He's did very we, competitive. Did we win the game? Yeah. Uh, he know that. I don't even know started. what else is I going on. Long By the way, you know he thought when they were like, you won the game of life, he's like, so we lost, huh? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's what losers say, don't they, huh? Yep. Oh, man, that's great stuff there. That is fantastic. Uh, okay, so here's another clip, and this one's from Zach Taylor who was speaking to the media, I believe it was either today or yesterday, and he tells the story about 
how they, him and Sean McDermott came to the conclusion that they were going to go back to the locker room and essentially the game ended up being called off. He gives a lot of props to Sean McDermott, the head coach of the Buffalo Bills here in this story. Here's the clip. Uh, the officials, again, did a great job of coming over to me and saying, hey, um, you know, they're, they're still trying to process this moment here, uh, Coach McDermott and their team. And so um, instead of playing telephone on separate sidelines, the decision was made just to go over there and, and make sure we're all, you know, talking together. And and I won't disclose um, any of the private conversations Sean and I had except for this. When I got over there, uh, the first thing he said was, I need to be at the hospital tomorrow, and I shouldn't be coaching this game. And so that, to me, provides all the clarity because there, there was no uh, unprecedented is the word that gets thrown out a lot about this situation because that's what it is. Uh, but in that moment, he really – uh, showed who he was, that, that all his focus was just on DeMar and being there for him, and being there for his family at the hospital. And, and at that point, um, I think everybody, everything trended in the, in the direction it needed to trend and the right decisions were made there. But, um, again, just, just uh, the way that I, I really felt Sean McDermott led in that moment for his players. He was there for his players. He, he processed the right way, which was incredibly difficult. And... Uh, and really helped us get to the the solution that we needed to get to. There you go, leader Beautiful. of men. Yep, leader of men. Yeah, <laughs> that's the that's the part about it where reality sets in for everyone. The leadership and the way that he was able to separate and differentiate, and then also looking at his players' faces. Something that you and I talked about yesterday, Rod. It was like when you looked at all those players. There was no way on God's green earth that they were going to be able to to go out there and play the game. Not mm-hmm. at a high level. It mm-hmm. doesn't matter. I mean, you can't compartmentalize any of that when you've been watching it and the fact that they set up a wall for them. That's the other part of it, too. And then I got a chance to watch one of the ESPN guys today, this afternoon, and he said that they asked the doctors, hey, are you got, was anybody watching the game? And they said all those guys that all the doctors that weren't in patients' rooms, they were around the TV, so they saw what happened. Mm, so they, they got they themselves ready. ready. They got ready for it. They were prepped for it because wow. they know we're 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 it. Yep. Level one trauma center. Bring it. Let's go. Let's get ready for it. Yeah. And that's why they were prepared mentally. And a shout out to the Bills' assistant athletic trainer, uh, Danny Kellington. This came yep. out too yep. that the uh, basically when the second time he he needed to be resuscitated, uh, he started to perform CPR uh, on Demar Hamlin, um, ultimately saving his life. So yep. uh, Hamlin initially had a pulse on the field, and he lost. The, they lost the pulse. Then yep. this guy went into action. Boom, um, and then that allowed them time bring the you know the defibrillator back out yep. and resuscitate him and get him to the hospital. And remember, they they were so confident that he did not need to go immediately to the trauma center. They wait on his mom, yep. which they also was a good sign. That was a great they, sign. They, they, yep. they felt confident enough to wait on mom to get into the ambulance. So he's still in critical condition, still not breathing completely on his own. He's breathing uh, better on his own, but mm-hmm. not on it, not completely on his own. He's in critical condition, but there is communication, and it looks like neurologically that was you know, not – significant brain damage that that they right now uh, can identify. So all those are really good signs. Okay, so Adam Schefter, he went on ESPN and, you know, Adam Schefter's plugged in and he actually said the NFL is considering not 
playing the Bills Bengals game at all. And he goes into some detail about what these some some of the other options are. Here's Adam Schefter. It's a pretty lengthy cut, but he pretty, he breaks down what the NFL's options are and what they're considering. So here's Adam Schefter. Number one, I don't think an educated guess that they're going to wind up replaying that Bills Bengals game from Monday night. As mm. somebody said to me this past week, the game is bad mojo. It's time to leave it behind, move forward, not back. And I don't believe the league, under most circumstances, is going to wind up replaying that game. Now we get into the fact, okay, well, how does the league handle this? And there are many ideas that the league is kicking around, and they now can go into overdrive knowing that doctors feel encouraged about DeMar Hamlin and where he's at in his recovery a few days after the tragic circumstances of Monday night. So when we go inside headquarters at Park Avenue in New York City, let me present a couple of scenarios that I think are under consideration and discussion, and I think they're a little bit different than a lot of people would have thought. One of them comes compliments of our Matthew Hasselbeck, and I want to credit him who came up with this idea, and I'm going to read it to you because he texted it to me yesterday, and I know the league has thought about this one. He said, you call the Bengals' bills a tie. The number one seed gets the choice of home field throughout the playoffs or the bye. The number two seed gets whatever isn't chosen. So either a bye or home field advantage. That would be one scenario that I believe the league has talked about. The other one that I think might be even more viable and more discussed and might be the one that the league enacts before Saturday's game is this. If there is an AFC championship game in the end that involves teams that don't have the same amount of games played, where Monday night's non-result factors into who gets home field advantage, here's what I think the league would do. I think the league would say, we're not going to have any home field advantage this year. We're going to play the conference championship game on a neutral site. All right, gentlemen. Adam Schefter says, first of all, if you are offered home field or the bye, which one do you take? And I guess it, it's, if you're Kansas City, I guess it depends on your situation. Because if you need guys to get back healthy, you take the bye. If you need, if you, you know, you, you believe home field advantage is kind of your saving grace, you take that. If you're Kansas City, which one do you take? Man, this owner's call. It's money. It is. It's a great yeah, point. It's an owner's call. Because yeah. that is a point. lot of money. That is a lot of money. But Super Bowl is also a lot of money. You win no, the Super no, Bowl. I get that. I'm just saying. And so it depends. I think Kansas City, because they're going to try and win it all, would be like, hey, we'll we'll go ahead and I know it's we'll take the bye week because we want to win it all because we think we can. Yeah. Now, maybe if you're Buffalo, you'd be like, hey, we need the home field. Yeah. Because yeah, it's, it's a big advantage. Especially in the winter. So there may be certain things. But yeah, I, I, that's an owner's call. I think most owners would say, oh, no, no, give me the game. That's a good point. That's a lot of money. Playoffs a lot of money. That's there. That's a, no, you're right. I, I didn't think about the money part, but, hey, man. I'm uh, taking home cream, field. Cash rules everything around me. Home field. You taking home field? I'm taking home field. Okay. I'm it, taking home field. I think it depends on, like, if you're for, if you're like the 49ers, you're like, no, I'll take the bye. It depends on, like, and yeah. I, they want to deal with it. I'm just hey, saying, like, I'm it depends the coach, on the team and their situation. If I'm the coach, all. I want the bye. If, if I'm the owner, I want the game. You want the game. Yep. 
Yeah. So I think that's where it comes down to in a lot of these. That's a that's a that's a that's really interesting proposal there. So the NFL considering all options, but at, we we both said it yesterday, Harge. There's no way they're gonna play that game. I I just don't think they're gonna. They, no. right, logistically, right now, it's a nightmare. You're not gonna postpone or delay the playoffs for that game. So you try to squeeze it in somewhere next week because you know you already announced you're not doing it this week. They're just going to charge that to the game and yeah. decide to go with some other option. No, and, I, and I think the neutral site one, financially, too, you could work that. It's like, look, neither one we, we'll, we're splitting the money from wherever we're doing it. Very Y'all true. are both going to make money off of it. So I think that's an easier compromise because financially the owners won't get as mad that someone else is making all the money and I'm losing out. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yep. Cash rules everything around me. Yeah, that is dollar great, dollar bill, y'all. Factor. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, that that will be a a big topic of discussion. There's no question about it. Uh, okay, uh, let's get to the NFL Hall of Fame conversation here for a while, gentlemen, um, because this and we'll we'll be talking about this, of course, a lot because uh, they don't pick these until like right before the Super Bowl, I believe they announce them somewhere yeah. around there. Uh, but the, the NFL did announce the finalists. For the mm-hmm. Pro Football Hall of Fame, uh, and there are there's some cowboy, there's the cowboy, couple of cowboys, mm-hmm. and a, even a Texan, which is rare. Come on, you know Houston Texan, but he's one of the best ever. A Houston Texan represented on here, so I thought it'd be a good conversation to have. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, Harsh Knock Life coming up next. You don't want to miss it. What you got for the people? Harsh? We got Kirk Dressendorfer, right. lifetime Longhorn, an Augie favorite, and he was part of me. Deciding to commit to the University of Texas, and Kurt mm-hmm. and I remain friends, and he's one of the best to ever do it. Yep, there you go. So uh, we'll have that coming up for you at 4.30, so you don't want to miss out. Yep. All right, so here are the 15 modern era finalists. They, you know, they do have their seniors finalists, but we'll, we won't get into that just now, even though uh, Don Coriel probably does need to get in there. But anyway, I digress. Uh, Jared <laughs> Allen, defensive end, um, is a finalist. Willie Anderson, the offensive tackle. Runday Barber, the cornerback and safety. Uh, Dwight Freeney, the defensive end slash outside linebacker. Devin Hester, the fantastic returner. Torrey Holt, the wide receiver. Andre Johnson, also wide receiver from the Texans. Uh-huh. Albert Lewis, the cornerback. Darrell Rivas, also cornerback. Joe Thomas, offensive tackle. Zach Thomas, linebacker. Demarcus Ware, uh, defensive end and outside linebacker. Reggie Wayne, receiver. Uh, Patrick Willis, linebacker. And Darren Woodson, Ooh. safety from them Dallas Cowboys. What you know I, about that wood? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right, so what say you, Harge? Which one of these uh, finalists do you think are, in your opinion, sure, surefire Hall of Famers? Well, number one, it should be Darren Woodson. I think Darren Woodson was an integral part to the success of the Dallas Cowboys, and most of his teammates are already in there. Um, I also believe Revis Island. Revis Island. I mean, they named the island after the dude. He was that much of a lockdown cornerback. And, uh, you know, people are going to say that I'm homerish, but I am. I think DeMarcus Ware, he went to two different – he played with the Cowboys and then he went to the Denver Broncos, got his Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. and he's one of the best to ever do it. So I would automatically put those guys in there. And then, of course, I think that – I think Zach Thomas – I think Zach Thomas deserves to be in there. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, listen. First of all, it's hard to deny any of these guys deserve to be in there, right? Um, because all of them had great careers. But now you're just trying to choose the elite of the elite. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Demarcus Ware. Just starting with the the local uh, here, the local guys, and you know, we'll start with Darren Woodson and work our way to, to Demarcus Ware, um, and then get to Andre Johnson too. 
Uh, but I think DeMarcus Ware probably has the best case out of all three of those guys right now because DeMarcus Ware, with his 138-and-a-half sacks, mm-hmm. um, all but three of the top 11 all-time sack leaders, um, all but three of those guys um, are all in the Hall of Fame. And those other three guys are Julius Peppers is one, Terrell Suggs, and DeMarcus Ware. I think DeMarcus Ware is going to end up getting in there. The, the problem with that is Jared Allen, he's only two-and-a-half sacks all-time behind DeMarcus Ware. DeMarcus Ware does have... A Super Bowl ring, though, mm-hmm. which helps him out. Um, Jared Allen hasn't cracked the top 10. DeMarcus Ware was a top 10 finalist last year. I think DeMarcus Ware is just a little bit more popular with the voters. Uh, so he stands a really good shot at getting in. So I think DeMarcus Ware, is, I, to me, I think he's one of those guys that's got a really good shot out of the, the local Texas, uh, Texas products we're talking about or who get, could get recognized from their Texas teams. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if Darren Woodson's getting in. The only thing that will help him really is because he's a Dallas Cowboy. If you're going to put in a defensive back, Darrell Revis is the guy. I mean, like I said, it's, Revis Island. Yeah. <laughs> if, I mean, you're talking about a first-team All-Pro, four-time, seven-time Pro Bowler. Um, I mean, he was All-Decade team. He's the, he's the DB that's getting in. And it's going to be hard to deny Joe Thomas. Yeah. Joe Thomas, first-team All-Pro six times, ten-time Pro Bowler. All-decade team, I think Joe Thomas and Darrell Revis are automatics. I think DeMarcus Ware is going to get a really good look because he was a top-ten finisher last year. They really like uh, Runday Barber. They really like Runday Barber. I, I'm i with you. I, I think you could argue Darren Woodson over Runday Barber, but remember he started – this is what they're going to say. He started 200 straight games. Yep. More game, more consecutive games than any cornerback in NFL history. That's over, like, what, 15 seasons or something? Dude, that alone's going to get him in there. And he had Super Bowl ring. He's the first defender in NFL history with 20 sacks and 20 interceptions in a career. He's a top 10 finisher last year. They're going to make a case for Rondé Barber. I'm not, I'm not necessarily on that bandwagon, but they're going to make a strong case for him. You remember when Joe Thomas got drafted, he was on a boat with his dad fishing in the middle of the water. Like He wasn't even, mm-hmm. he wasn't even phased by the draft because he, he knew wasn't. he was going to go high. He yep. knew he was going to be in the mix, but my dude was out there fishing. He wasn't, even at the, he wasn't even at the draft. Hey, because he already knew. And he was, he was taking number three overall. Yeah. So, no. what do you think of Devin Hester? Going to be tough. Only three specialists are in the Hall of Fame. Um, that was Ray Guy, Morton Anderson, and Jan Stenyrud. Um, I don't know if he's None gonna, of them are returners. I know. So, that's, None of it's going to be tough on him. I think Patrick Willis may have a better shot at – he was a first-team All-Pro five times. Yeah. Um, that's a guy that may have a better shot at than a guy like Devin Hester or Zach Thomas. Uh, really quickly, Andre Johnson – I think Andre Johnson has a better case than Reggie Wayne or Torrey Holt, but I'm a little bit biased as a Texans fan. They had other great receivers they played with, so they only they usually got single coverage or the second best defensive back out there, a second best coverage guy, because uh, Reggie Wayne had Marvin Harrison, also had Peyton Manning. Yep. Uh, Torrey Holt uh, had Isaac Bruce and Kurt Warner, talking about Hall of Fame quarterbacks with Hall of Fame receivers to compliment them. Andre Johnson, what Hall of Fame uh, receiver did he have to compliment him? I'll wait. <laughs> exactly. He didn't, I don't even had all, only if he had Pro Bowlers to, to compliment. Yeah. Him. What Hall and of Famer did he have on his team? Period. To exactly. Compliment him. I totally agree. And let's go. Let's go. I'm going to list the quarterbacks he played with really quickly because we're up against it. They are terrible. Ryan Fitzpatrick, probably the best. He's a, yeah, I would say one that. Best. Uh, him and Matt Schaub, the Schaub job. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jake DeLone, Matt Schaub, Matt Liner, Sage Rosenfels, Case Keenum, Tony Banks, David Carr, Ryan Mallett, T.J. Yates, Tom Savage, David R- Dave Ragone. 
Rex Grossman. Those were all the quarterbacks that Andre Johnson had throwing to him. And with those quarterbacks, he ends up 11th all-time in receptions, 11th all-time in receiving yards. Um, and the problem that hurts him, though, is t- touchdowns and titles. Uh, the Texans were really bad as a football team, and he only has, I think, 70 touchdowns. DeAndre Hopkins has more touchdowns receiving than him, 50th in reception, so that'll hurt him. He, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame just because of that list of quarterbacks you just named. Right? Off. He's the original <laughs> Spanx, man. That dude can make any uh, any misshapen, out-of-shape <laughs> thing look really, really good like he did with them quarterbacks. All right, we'll come back. We got a Harsh Knock Life coming up. Uh, and what you got for the people? Kirk Dressendorfer. Legendary Lifetime That's Longhorn right. coming up. All that and more right here on Ball Don't Lie on 1049 Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, guys and dolls, the main event of the evening for your entertainment and pleasure. Mike, you have to be so combative. Now, I probably wouldn't say this in front of white folks. But in front of y'all, I'm gonna speak my mind. He has emotional anger issue problems. Hey, are you Dirty Mike and the boys? I'm Mike Lowry. Michael! Oh, that's funny. Michael! Welcome back to New Theme Thursday edition of Ball Don't Lie. The theme is National Bird Day. My man Patrick Davis got us all stumped with all bird songs. This is not a bird song. This is my intro. And um, you can follow me on Twitter at Harbaugh Hard. You can follow my man Rob Babers at Rob Babers. You can follow the man that comes up with these themes at It's Patrick Davis. We love it when you're part of the show, so hit us up on the Specs text line, 512-337-3776. And joining us right now on the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline is a lifetime Longhorn and one of the legends at the University of Texas. He played baseball from 19. 19- 88 to 1990, where he was drafted in the first round by the Oakland A's. He's a three-time All-American and All-Southwest Conference. He posted 45 wins. He went 45-8, and eight to be exact. And he also set the single-season uh, record at UT with 15 complete games. He's also been inducted into the Longhorn Hall of Honor. He is the one and only Kirk Dressendorfer. Kirk, what's up, buddy? Hey, how you guys doing? Hey, Harge. I'm just excited to talk to you. I know this uh, situation with Coach Gus has gotten everybody and everyone that has played for him uh, a little sad. But over the years, you and I have, have talked, and even on my recruiting visit, you were one of the reasons why I decided to come to the University of Texas, coming here and watching you pitch and compete every single day and going out on the mound. And I remember in the regional where you – it seemed like you pitched every game in the regional here at the University of Texas because every time I came to it, I saw you get, you got a chance to pitch. But talk a little bit about Coach Gus and how you decided to come to the University of Texas. Well, as you you both know very well, you know, the University of Texas is a, a destination spot, still is, and, you know, uh, especially back in the late 80s and, and early 80s, you know, it was uh, – 
that was the pinnacle of college baseball. I, I, I was fortunate, you know, in my early recruiting process, I didn't know if I was good enough, didn't know if I was on Texas's radar. So when I got the opportunity and got the call from Coach Gus, it was, uh, you know, it, it was a, a pretty easy conversation, an easy decision just to take a shot. You know, you, you, you know when you, you sign up to play at the University of Texas, expectations are very high. Competition internal within the team is extremely high just to see the field so you know i always appreciated coach gus and you know doug gassaway really uh the ranger scout at the time had put in a lot of good words for me as well so uh, as you know it's it was a, a dream come true and uh you know getting to play for coach gus and in, in a legendary program like the university of texas was was pretty amazing yeah and and when you talk about that and talk about coach gus and everyone that was involved with it, you start to look around and you hear the same stories from a lot of guys. And you talked about the phone call. And yesterday we had Brooks Kieschnick talking about the phone call, Ty Harrington, obviously Coach Gus and the University of Texas. They're, they're expected to go to Omaha every single time. And that's how he came up with it. And when you got a chance to get that phone call to come here, it was a major, major part of uh, the decisions that you made. But when you got here, Coach Gus obviously tried to work with you and made you the pitcher that you were. But what were some of the things that kind of stood out that you remember from your initial time coming to the university and then after that? I'd say the, the initial time, and he, you know, it, it's hard when you walk onto the campus and, and coming from Paraland High School and you, you go to the, the 40 acres and, you know, 50-plus thousand students. It's, it can be it can be. Uh, overwhelming for an 18 year old coming into this environment and the expectations were high and the prior year i think we had four or five uh of the top our top pitchers drafted and all went pro so there were going to be opportunities and you know coach gus did an amazing job you know you you guys know when you're in the locker room and you're at a place like the university of texas you look around and everybody was was all state all all everything in high school so Mm -hmm. The recruiting trip and the transition to, okay, the recruiting trip's over. Now it's time to kind of put up or shut up was, uh, Coach Gus was really good at that part of it. And I, I think it, it hit me one day when we first broke up into our position groups. And I think we had 28 pitchers go down in the left field line. And I was thinking, I don't even know if we had 28 players on my football team, much less 28 pitchers. That, and, you know, he had a stack rank and he purposely had me at 28. And I, I think he, he was pushing the buttons from the get go to, to challenge me to, to, to know you better, you better get, you know, recruiting trips over, you better get ready to, to go compete and, uh, and work yourself up that list. So, uh, you know, he, he was very good about knowing how to motivate and how to, uh, each individual, how to get the most out of them. We're talking to lifetime Longhorn, Kirk Dressendorfer, talking about Coach Gustafson. And, you know, Kirk, when we start looking at um, the way that, the team is molded. You just talked about walking down the line and seeing 28 guys that are pitching and you're trying to figure out if I'm going to be one of those guys and him pushing that button. Those are some of the stories that everybody's been talking about. Kishnick gave us a story the other day about him drop every time y'all swept a team, you would they would throw money on the ground and he would pick up every single coin that would be on the ground and, <laughs> and put it into his pocket. Are there any stories that you had during your time at the university where Coach Gus would be in the locker room with some of those conversations as well? 
Well, he definitely remembered that. And I remember somebody I think tried to tried to glue a quarter to the to the <laughs> to the to the floor, and he he didn't like that a whole lot. But you know, he was. I always got the post game was just how meticulous he was in every inning, especially the double headers. Right, you would he would almost go through in his notes he would take during the course of the game, and you know we could be in there quite quite a while, depending you know, and, and nothing was left to chance, nothing was missed, and there was always opportunities to to get better. I don't care if we won ten to nothing. We could be in there an hour talking about, you know, all the little things we could do better. And because he had kind of the bigger picture in mind, you know, it was like, yeah, we we won this game, but we, we have to continue. Always every day was an opportunity to get better. Uh so that always stuck out with me. Uh, in particular one game I was my freshman year playing at TCU, I pitched the first game of a of the doubleheader and I think we won seven to one, eight to one or something. I thought I did okay, but he he had a way. He he kind of got on me after the game and kind of accused me of just kind of going through the motions a little bit. And I looked around him at the scoreboard, and he had that was a bad move. I learned real quick, don't do that. And he he you know he was I don't care if the scoreboard. So I'm talking about how you how you you could have done better. And you you know and just having that into it, you know just being that tied into his players and knowing I didn't get the best out of you today. I don't care what the scoreboard said. You could, you're, you're better than this. And I remember that's the bar he set for everyone. And, you know, and and I learned it it, as a player, you, you take these things because you're preparing yourself for the next level in pro ball. And you, you know, you know, this competition gets tighter. You, you, you can't have those days. You can't let yourself, kind of let up even a little bit, you know, with the focus and intensity. So it was, it was attention to detail that always stuck out with, with me. And you knew he was always watching and he had his little notepad. So you were going to hear about it if even the slightest thing. So uh, that's what I think always resonated with me and, 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 you know, why he was so successful over all that many years, 29 years of coaching at Texas. Yeah. It was unbelievable when you start to hear, you know, all the people that went on and coached for him, obviously played for him, but then went on just like yourself being drafted in the first, uh, first round in the 1990 draft and going on to pitch in the major leagues. Is there one thing that stuck with you the most after you left the university that when you got into pro ball and you made your major league start, did something click back with you reverting back to what coach Gustafson had talked to you about leading up to that moment? You know, I always thought that he did a really good job because you know, the, the, the great thing about playing at a, in an environment like Texas, you're in big games, you're in pressure situations and how he was, you know, there was times he knew when to, I guess, light a fire and he knew when to calm you down. And, and, and it was all about focus. And I do remember my, you know, your major league debut and, and you have the adrenaline flowing and, and you do, you think back of the times where he was calming you down because that was a, you certainly didn't need to light a fire. You needed to try to get the heart rate slowed and try to get the focus and, and not worry about all the, you know, events going around on around you pitching, you know, your major, you know, all the kind of, you know, this is what you've played since you were a little kid for. Right. And I, I, he, he always stuck with me about focusing in on the mitt, focusing in on the game plan and just taking care of it one pitch at a time. So he was, he was always, you know, you, you took those lessons learned, you took the the big environments that, 
playing at a University of Texas, you were trained for it. And and to be honest, you carry a lot of the legacy in with you. You know, you look around the league at the time, I think we had 17 pitchers from the University of Texas yep. active in the major league as, as pitchers. So you, you, you're you in that group and you know that other guys had come from where you'd come from and had you know the, a lot of the trainings and been put in the situations in Omaha and, and other big games and conferences. So you were trained, you were prepared, and you just kind of had to – trust in yourself and kind of go back to what you were you you had you, how you had gotten through those those big events big situations in the past that's great leadership me and rod were talking a little while ago about leaders of men and that's exactly what uh coach gustison wanted to do he wanted to teach you guys and teach everyone how to be men because it was bigger than just baseball it was more about life and you know, when, when I was on my recruiting trip with you, Calvin Murray, Scotty Pugh, I just could see it in you guys' eyes what it meant for you to play for Coach Gus. He was tough, but he was fair, and you knew exactly where he was, and he developed so many good people around the university. 100%. And I think, as you know, hard, you know, what one reason I really like his kind of structure and the way he evaluated. We played a lot of scrimmage games. Mm-hmm. You know, we inter-squatted 20-something innings a day. So no one had a kind of a right to say, I, I, I didn't get a chance or I wasn't seen. We, we all got our innings. We all got our at-bats. So it was a matter of, you know, him evaluating you and us going through and, and, and you know, getting the opportunity of competing and see, you know, so – that was a, a big thing, and, and it was, you know, when you get the, uh, you know, best of the best and pick, it's it's not always easy to find the right lineup and the right connections. And he did, uh, he had an amazing structure to to get to the team he wanted to go compete with. And that's why everybody loved Coach Gus. That's why he is the man with the plan, and and where he's definitely going to be missed. I know every time I'm around the stadium and. All you guys are together and, and talking of your stories about Coach Gus. They're always pleasant ones. There were some tough ones, but there was always some pleasant ones because of the man that he was. Kirk, I can't thank you enough um, for joining us today. I know it's been a tough week for everybody, and, and we wish you all the best. And I know that we'll have you on again because there's going to be something you and I are going to talk about a little bit later on this year. Perfect. No, appreciate you guys. Love listening to you. Thanks for having me on. And, you know, Coach Gus meant a lot to a lot of people. Uh, Jill and Jan, his daughters and their families, just, you know, you're in our thoughts and prayers. And, you know, I think you're seeing all the articles and hearing all uh, the stories about, you know, the impact Coach Gus has had on so many people. So appreciate you guys having me on. No problem. There he is, Kirk Dressendorfer. Not only is he a Longhorn Hall of Honor honoree, and he's also in the College Baseball Hall of Fame, inducted in 2009. Kirk Dressendorfer, one of the best to ever grace us on the 40 Acres. There you go. Um, and we'll get that interview posted for you if you missed any part of it, too. Uh, we'll get that posted to the website as soon as we can. So uh, thanks to Kirk. We appreciate his time. No um, we come back. We'll get into a little off the record on the other side. There are a few off the record stories we got to get to. <laughs> One involving the Aggies. And, yes, the jokes write themselves often <laughs> with the Aggies. We'll talk about that on the other side right here on Ball Don't Lie. Wonderful. Not Anchor Bar, proud sponsor of Off the Record. Anchor Bar wings are always fresh, never frozen, tender on the inside, crispy on the outside. Check out this week's flavor of the week, Habanero Ranch. Anchor Bar, real buffalo wings. 
D.D. Mega Doo I'm sorry, Mangudu. Once it's turned on, the sign will spell out Delhi Cat Essen. Well, well I don't get a break the egg comb. Well, congratulations. Continue good sex in, the, good sex in the Big East. Thank you, Jimmy. And boom goes the dynamite. It's time for another edition of Off the Record. Do it live. I can, I'll write it and we'll do it live. And thing sucks. All right, welcome back to another edition of uh, Off the Record right here on Ball Don't Lie. We've got a couple of stories we got to get to, and so we won't spend a ton of time on these stories. Just kind of go rapid fire. There's a lot of strange stories out here. Uh, we This story uh, popped up earlier this week. We just haven't gotten to it. You know the actor Jeremy Renner? Yeah. Who is played in uh, Marvel movies? I think he's like, is it Hawkeye or something? I, uh, I, think, I think he is. I, I think forget he what is the Hawk. character is, yeah. but he, yeah, but he's, no. he's been in a lot of stuff. Yeah. He, he was in a uh, Hurt Locker. Uh, yep. It was great in her life. He's a good actor, actually. Um, uh, he had an incident this past this week that left him badly injured. Um, he actually he actually uh, uh, posted a photo of it mm-hmm. of himself in the hospital. He got run over by a snowplow. Yeah. Yeah. What was he doing? Um, he was actually helping out neighbors. Um, apparently, and he remains in the ICU in critical but stable condition. Um, and he says he's really uh, happy and, and really grateful for all the support and the well wishes. Um, but basically, he was helping uh, basically a family member and helping out neighbors. He was like plowing snow with his snowcat plowing machine. He got out to talk to a family member and the machine started to roll. He was in front of the machine, didn't turn it off. Yeah. So the roll. Attempted to get back inside and got run over by it and, and survived. Yeah. He, he said um, investigators don't believe Renner was impaired at all during the, in, the accident, um, and it was an accident. They are, however, checking any sort of mechanical failure that might have happened. Um, but I don't know. Maybe he's got too comfortable. It is a snowplow. Got yeah. run over by a snowplow. Yeah, and I saw a picture That's today. Crazy. I believe his sister was like massaging his head today and kind of giving him like a shampoo type of deal while he was in bed. And, yes, he was Hawkeye in the uh, Avengers. Yes. In Avengers. Yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah, your son's big. Yeah, Barbara. yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, my wife, actually, when she was a kid, got run over by a tractor. Come on. I'm not, I'm not joking. Like, Is that the tractor actually, story? No, it, yeah. it is a tractor. She got run over by my my wife. Almost died like five or six times as a, as a child. Like, it, and that was one of them. She got run over by a tractor and just uh, somehow survived. God has been with that woman. That's why she give you your hall pass. That's uh, why she said she was like, "Man, I ain't yeah, you know, I'm just I'm giving yeah, you she, a hall pass." Yeah, because we, we were talking about it when we were talking about that story at home. That, oh, she's like, "Oh yeah, I got run over by a tractor." And I was like, "You got run over by a tractor? Crazy stuff." Uh, anyway, like. Uh, under the tires, because no, obviously she got she run didn't... over by. They, she she grew up uh, in Idaho. Yeah, and they yeah, owned yeah. like I don't know, like Bunch twenty some acres, acres out yeah. there. Yeah, they had a and tractor. she was playing got... tractor tractor chicken like in Footloose. Got... Clearly, yeah. I forgot <laughs> I forgot the story, but she got wow. run over by a tractor. Man, it's crazy stuff. But... Blessings to her. Yeah, but right, guy was with Jeremy yep. Renner, and that yep. same guy was with her too. Yep. Uh, all right, here's, let's talk about the Aggies. Uh, apparently, this story was crazy. So Texas A and M and Florida had to wait longer than expected to start their game uh, last night. Uh, the reason was the Aggies left their uniforms at the team hotel. So someone had to go back to yeah. the hotel and get the uniforms. So tip-off was delayed as a result of that. Once again, the Aggie jokes writing themselves. Uh, once again, that person who left that at the place Come on, man. got to be fired. 
uh, something. Some, I mean, because there's I, no way you keep your job. And I, I've always been under this impression because my son played college basketball. They traveled everywhere. And I, was, I called him last night, and I was like, hey, wouldn't you notice if your uniform's not in your locker? Because you've gone uh, yeah. to shoot around. Come on yeah. You have to have your stuff. In, did you shoot around in your own full uniform and they had to go back and watch it? I mean, I don't understand how no one noticed that they didn't have so, so their uniform. I'm figuring there. it's just the tops because, yeah, the pants are normally worn during shoot around. And I'm guessing the person who did it was probably a kid. It was probably a grad. Like, they normally have student managers yeah, that yeah. Knew would do that stuff. The coach said that they were supposed to be in his room in the hotel. But this is the problem of having Aggies take care of Aggie things. They're supposed to know there's seven bags, and we all know Aggies can't count the seven. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> uh, I love that Patrick set it up all for an Aggie joke. I know. I'm sitting there <laughs> like, he just oh, yeah, up. okay, you're right. I love lopping his up a softball for the Aggie. That's great. No, it really was. I was listening. So I was like, oh, yeah, he's, I was he's all going to make a point it. here. No, he's just trying to set himself up for a nice nope. Aggie uh, one-liner. I like that. Yep. Um, okay, uh, that's, a, so that's another crazy story out there. Oh, my wife texted me and said, I was riding in the bucket of my dad's tractor and was picking flowers from the side of the road i leaned too far out under the track i fell under the tractor so i rode in a tiny ball to know what to do tractor rolled over the top of me like i was directly in the middle of the tractor so wheels were on the left and right and i was small enough to not get scraped or crushed by the middle uh bottom of the tractor that's hey luckily 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 should be a little bigger yeah then you know what i mean that's crazy that's, a, that's, that's some wild stuff. Wow. Um, all right. It might be enough off the record. Got a personal <laughs> story in there. Some other that was great, stuff. though. I mean, we got uh, yeah. to understand and enclosure on what happened. Yeah. Now she texted me. I guess she was listening. Yeah. Yeah. She ain't got to run over Uh-oh. my tractor. She was you, listening. She, Uh-oh. I didn't say nothing bad. I didn't say nothing bad. You did good this time. Uh, okay. Uh, another <laughs> random story uh, and off the record. Uh, SoFi Stadium will not allow uh, tailgating. That's, uh, for that, the that is ridiculous. Game. But I will say tailgating is at a minimum at those uh, neutral site games because I've been to a couple and, you know, people from around the country, not everybody has an RV or something and mm-hmm. they, ha- they can, uh, you know, buy the space and all that kind of stuff. So it's not a ton of tailgating, but to say there's no tailgating for those who have the resources, that does kind of suck. Right. That's, that's, that's not good. That doesn't make it's football. It. Yeah. Football. You're supposed to do tailgating that. Tailgating is a part of football. It's a national championship game. Yeah. Like these people are, they deserve a party prior to the game. Especially, and you talk about TCU, so Texas people know how to tailgate. Exactly. In Georgia. Know, oh my gosh. So, you know they exactly know. They between the hedges all exactly. the time. Exactly. So, like, man, those two fan bases, I, uh, you probably should allow some tailgating. That's, no doubt. Yeah, it's funny. Ambiance, though. I mean, that's, that's part of the ambiance. People that's cooking what weird stuff about. out there. And, but doesn't. doesn't Cooking, like, doesn't cooking Stan frogs. Cooking doesn't Stan Kroenke <laughs> own like that whole area out there? Uh, you're probably right, honestly. I think he bought that whole area out right. there. So he's probably got an area out there that he could go and go, hey, this is a tailgate. Like it's not it's not in the parking lot, but it's a little bit down. You can walk over. Yeah, rope something off and be like, yeah, yeah there's not going to be a ton of tailgate. It'd be some RVs out there. And let, yeah, let do I'm with you. I think the, the production of it, you think you'd want some tailgates because it's just a cooler production. Well, like and, game day and all that and kind you of want stuff. tailgates because that's where you sell the space and you get sponsors to come in, and sponsors run their giant tailgates too. Exactly, yeah. and you put them all within everybody. So yeah. you know, and, and I agree. I went to the national championship game when I went to the old one when Georgia played Alabama for oh. the national championship in yeah. Atlanta. There were so many things that were happening outside of the stadium, the pregame concerts, all the oh. things. Like what? How are they supposed to do all that out there? Yeah, you're right. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe they're just making room for all that stuff. And they're yeah. saying, you know what, if we got to screw anybody over, let's just 
Yeah, that's, the, yeah tailgaters. the tailgaters. Man. They're not, you know, they're not paying the kind of money that yeah. the. Or, you know, I the mean, there is a possibility too. For. They'll be like, man, y'all coming from Texas and Georgia, and we got people out here that if they see the smoke. They're coming over. <laughs> and y'all tickets ain't going to be there no more, y'all. Yeah. Uh, could be some of that, too. I don't know. I haven't, uh, I haven't been out there in a while in Cali. But uh, but TCU fans, I'm sure they'll be able to tell you because they're going out there. and They're probably already out there. Uh, deep, too. Uh, yep. All right. We come back. We'll talk about the big story of the day, the unfortunate sad story of the day. Chris Beard has been fired. It is official. Texas basketball moving on. Texas men's basketball moving on to a new head coach, an interim head coach in Rodney Terry right now. We'll talk about that on the other side right here on Ball Don't Lie on 104.9 The Horn.